0: Jesus, it is not about what we get out of today. It is not about what we like today. What we don't like today, it really is about you. And so, Jesus, we gather in this place just to offer you the honor and praise that you're due. And we receive... The little foretaste of what will make heaven good. For endless days, we will sing your praise. Thank you, Lord. Move among us. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Like I said, I'm Kyle. I get to be one of the pastors here. And, um, Just a few things. So yeah, we do go down to one service tomorrow for the summer. That'll last until Labor Day weekend. Um, Part of the reason we're starting now is next weekend is our final Naturally Supernatural workshop. Naturally Supernatural. It's a series of workshops that we have been doing to just grow our reliance on the Holy Spirit and to live more like Jesus. That's Friday night and Saturday, and registration for that is still open, but we'll close like I'm gonna say tomorrow because in regen language, that's Wednesday, okay? Um, Because we'd like to order food. Uh, But if you had have never been to a Natural Supernatural before, we'd love to have you with us. Um, Our friend Paul McConaughey, he has a British accent, so obviously he's cool. Um, We'll be here leading that Friday night and Saturday and um, just really anticipating what God's doing. And because that weekend is so full, that's why we're dropping down to one that Sunday morning. Um, And then one of the things just to kind of remind and encourage, we shared at the end of February that Steph and Jack and I will be going on sabbatical uh, at the end of June. So some of us are forgetting when that's starting and um, getting antsy. Uh, Be not antsy. We will not leave you as orphans. Um, The oversight team uh, and the staff are going to be ready to go. They already are. Um, We'll be gone June 27th to August 8th. And we will not be here so when we presented this idea to the elders their first statement was don't be here and uh, the lord has provided a way for that to happen and uh, um, so we'll prepare you well for that time Um, we're gonna create a church directory that'll be made available to everybody so as i love you to avoid perhaps lots of texts while we're gone hey i'm sorry i know you're gone but i need so-and-so's phone number You'll be able to find that on your own. Love you, but we'll have that ready for you. And then um, I, since January, I have been training some preachers uh, to lead during that time. Um, so I, uh, eight, eight men and women felt called to step into preaching and see what that would work. Um, and we have been, they have each been working on just one sermon since January. And um, all eight of them have game. Uh, they have all got game. And uh, in fact, I think each of their sermons will be better than the ones we're used to hearing. I only had since Wednesday to prepare what I had to share with you today. Um, and then the clock starts for next week, tomorrow, like as soon as we leave here. Uh, They've been working on one sermon since January. So the power of marination alone. Uh, and I'm just really proud of them. Preaching is really hard. Uh, most of you just had like a small aneurysm at the thought of speaking publicly, and they've eight men and women in our church have said they want to do it, so we're excited about that, um, and just really looking forward um, to what God's going to do during that time. Um, so yeah, it's exciting days. We, I, I can't think of a church that I know of with 100 to 150 people that has a preaching team of 10. <laughs> I can't, um, and so I think the Lord is raising up some preachers to be doing something I don't know yet, but I think the Lord's doing something there. So, We're in a series here at Regen on inner healing. On inner healing. What is inner healing? Well, we're used to the idea. We may not believe he can do it, but we're aware that Jesus can perform miracles to like heal bodies. We see him do that all the time. But what about Jesus' ability to heal the wounds people can't see? That's kind of what we're exploring. We're exploring how Jesus extends... His joyful power and presence toward us in the midst of our wounds or even in the places that we feel stuck. In 2016, I was, I was stuck. I would stay up hours into the night, uh, anxious, filled with dread, feeling totally out of control. I'd be uh, just sick. Uh, I was leading this church regeneration, which in 2016, let's just say, was not going well. Uh, actually, I don't know if any of you in this room right now were really in that room with us except maybe Joey and Julia and Josiah and Selena. Um, it, was, it was a struggle, and at the same time, I was tasked to lead an established congregation a few miles away, and uh, that was difficult too. That was hard on me, and so I would be up hours into the night just filled with dread and filled with anxiety feeling really just unsafe and overwhelmed having fights in my head and feeling like a shoe was about to drop and i couldn't make it stop the only way i could sleep was by watching um, reruns of netflix uh, reruns of the west wing on netflix Um, a lot of you might be interested in my politics i'll let you know my president is josiah bartlett Um, from that show that ended in 2006 that I have watched through seven times and have listened to an entire podcast that covers every episode. So now our life is awesome. Yes. Um, Very cool person is what I am. And uh, so uh, I found myself, I went to counseling And I was paired with a counselor that I liked a lot for about six weeks, and then that counselor was assigned some different duties. And so I was given a new counselor that I was not crazy about, so I stopped going to counseling. So footnote, like when you get paired with a counselor you don't like, you don't quit counseling. Like when you have a doctor that you don't like, you don't just like quit going to the doctor. Well, some of you do. You shouldn't do that either. But... um, so really, this struggle went on for about nine months, and I was in a huddle, and a huddle is, it's a kind of a small group that we run here at Regen that's for developing leaders. And I was in a huddle, and we were processing really kind of these feelings of fear and being out of control and stress and heartache and difficulty and um, I felt like I heard the Lord say to me, by the way, some of you are guests in the house this morning, just want to let you know, we're the kind of church that believes God speaks to us, okay? So be not freaked out. It's just what he does. Um, um, I felt like I heard the Lord say, uh, you're safe with me. You're safe with me. I felt like I heard him say, I've not called you to a minefield. I've called you to a vineyard. Uh, you know, remember that show 24? Um, Every like episode or season, it would end with like a bomb about to go off, right? And so the heroes, they would be like, do I cut the red wire? Do I cut the green wire? Do I cut the red wire? And then "Ah," panic and and then they like reach out and they, "Ah," and then it doesn't blow up, right? I had come to believe that that was my life. I had come to believe I had come to believe that I, it wasn't just that I felt unsafe, it just wasn't that I felt anxious. I believed deep down in my bones that I was unsafe, that I was in danger, that I was alone, that I was to be filled with fear and dread. And, and in that moment, um, in that huddle, I began to get clarity in this because what I had come to do was believe something fundamentally true about my identity. I'd come to believe something fundamentally true about my identity. It was more than just a feeling. It was a story that I was writing deep inside of myself. And the problem with that, if you hear me say nothing else this morning, hear me say this. Your identity precedes activity. Identity always precedes activity. In other words... Who you are or who you believe yourself to be is the driving factor of your behavior, right? I believed that I was unsafe, that I was in danger, that I was alone, and so I spent hours in the night building up mental defenses against the people that could harm me, right? Until God said you're safe with me, I have not called you to a minefield, your life is not the closing scene of 24, you're in a vineyard. And I was processing this once with Joey sometime after, and Joey even said uh, this really great thing about like, yeah, and when a new problem arises, it's really just that God is taking you to a new part of the vineyard where some weeds have grown up and you need to pull those ones now too. It's not unsafe, like nobody dies while pulling weeds, right? I was not unsafe, but what was core to this was I had come to believe something about myself and that changed the way I behave. I think a lot of times what we do is we look at our behavior, don't we? And we wonder, why am I the way I am? Why am I the way I am? And we just try to fix our behavior without going deeper to notice, I believe something about myself that drives the way I'm living. Identity precedes activity. And I want you to hear the really, really good news this morning. Um, if you're a non-Christian in the room, let me just explain to you that when we say yes to Jesus, we embed ourselves in a new story, right? When, we say, when you say yes to Jesus, you're not just intellectually assenting to some facts that we just sang about, that he was laid in Joseph's tomb and this thing happened and this thing. What you're actually doing is being placed in a new story. You're actually being given a new identity new identity. And what I want us to do this morning is explore that new identity. I want to explore the challenges that we experience against that identity, and I want to give you a tool to help you press back against that. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Luke chapter three. Luke chapter 3 I'm just going to look at two verses, verses 21 and 22. says, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. Why do we practice baptism? Because Jesus got baptized. Easy, easy peasy. <laughs> As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. In Luke 3, Jesus is baptized, and as he comes out of the water, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends on him, and the Father speaks over Jesus, his identity. You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Here's what I want you to notice. The Father speaks identity over Jesus. In other words, his identity comes from the outside in. It does, Our cultural moment's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's about looking inward. To find kind of your identity inside of here and then push it outward. But actually the way that God has made us is to find our identity outside of ourselves and bring that into the center of who we are. And that's what's happening, right? And because as Jesus, now this happens right as the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And so what we see in the next pages of scripture is Jesus just living out his identity as the beloved son. In fact, in John 5, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says that Jesus says the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Right? Jesus, receiving his identity from the Father, just looks at him, and whatever the Father does, that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus does. His identity as the Son drives Jesus' activity. Right? Now, here's what I want to show you next, is I want to show you how Jesus shares this identity with those of us who claim him, those of us who follow after him. So leave your finger, if you can, if you're using a real Bible like really spiritual people would, (laughs) leave your finger there and go to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians 1, I just want to read you one verse. I'm going to, in all of the sermons at this point, I've been bringing a lot of verses with me. Why have I been doing that? I want to show you that what we're talking about is rooted in the text, not this cute, touchy-feely idea, okay? Verse 3, Paul says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Why? Because we are united with Christ. Now, some of you, your, your translation just says because we are in Christ. Now, that little phrase, those two words, in Christ, those are all over the place in Paul's letters. Um, and, and let's just nerd out on theology for a moment and recognize that when it talks about us being in Christ, sometimes we just read that word of like, okay, what Paul is saying is that we are united with Jesus. That the very moment you say yes to Jesus, you are united with Him. In the same way that a branch and a vine are united, in the same way that a, a pregnant woman is united with her child, in the same way that a husband and wife are united in marriage. Paul says, at the end of this book about marriage, he says this mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and His church. Marriage is not its own thing it is a sign that points to a greater reality what is the greater reality that we are united with Jesus that we are one with him 1 Corinthians 130 says God has united you with Christ Jesus Galatians 327 says all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes I love that Colossians 127 says God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And he says, I'm going to tell you a secret. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. Now listen, what we tend to think is that we are here and God is up there. And then maybe we start to get a sense as we read the Bible more, okay, maybe that distance isn't quite right. Maybe Jesus is, because his name is Emmanuel, it means he's with us, so he's here, but at best he's like here next to me. When we say yes to Jesus, we are united with him. We are made one with him. That is the very essence of what it means to say yes to Jesus. In fact, here's what one of my undergraduate professors have to say about this. Marcus Peter Johnson says, The mysterious reality of our union with Jesus, by which he dwells in us and we in him, is so utterly essential to the gospel that to obscure it inevitably leads to an obscuring of the gospel itself. Let me say this. When you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to the gospel, you are united with Jesus. Let me tell you what that means. Somebody say, Kyle, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that everything that is true about Jesus in God's eyes is true about you. Everything that is true about Jesus in God's eyes is true about you. It means that when God looks at you, he actually sees Jesus. How is it that we are adopted into God's family? We're made one with Jesus who is God's son. I'm part of his family. How am I made right with God, with sin in my life? It's because I'm made one with Jesus who is right in God's eyes and that brings me along. And here's what's even more remarkable. What the Father speaks over Jesus here in Luke 3 is what the Father speaks over you. Jesus shares that identity with us. When we say yes to Jesus, we become the beloved of God. You are His beloved daughter with whom He is well pleased. You bring Him Great joy. You are his beloved son. You bring him great joy. Now let's think about for a second this idea that identity comes before activity. Who we believe ourselves to be, who we are, who we understand ourselves to be will dictate our behavior. As we follow Jesus, so many of our problems and our wounds and our stuckness, it comes down to a a question of our identity, of who we believe ourselves to be. If I believe myself to be a beloved son of the Father, then I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to cease striving after the next goal. I'm going to be joyful in the midst of conflict, but if I believe that I am in danger, and that's what I was fundamentally believing about myself, y'all, if I believe that I am fundamentally in danger, I'm going to be really unpleasant in conflict because the fight or flight is going to kick in and I'm going to fight. I'm not going to be very at peace. In fact, I'm probably going to not sleep all night until I watch three episodes of The West Wing and fall asleep at four and then have to get up at eight. I'll probably get mad at the people who get in the way of me succeeding because I believe my identity is rooted in how good I am by how much I do. Jesus extends his joyful presence and power even to those places. Jesus extends his joyful presence and power even to those places. But I want to look at the geography of those places in our heart a little more closely. I want to look at what shapes, what sources these things that we believe about ourselves in the negative. So go back to Luke chapter three. Oh, wait, I lied. Go to Ephesians two. Plot twist, go to Ephesians two. I wanna look at the geography of where this comes from, the source. In Ephesians two, one through three, Paul writes this. He says, and you were dead, in your trespasses and sins, just by the way, we do not come to church because we are good people looking to be slightly better, right? The gospel is not a matter of good people being made better, but dead people being made alive, okay? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of Disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, which were by nature, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, reflecting on this passage, the early church fathers and mothers in the first hundred years after Jesus died and rose again, they saw that Paul was writing of a triumvirate of terror, a, a new axis of evil that contend against us as we seek to follow the way of Jesus, as we seek to live into this identity that Jesus has given us. Um, and those, those enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil, And I want to show you just briefly how each one of these kind of comes against this identity that Jesus gives us and causes us to kind of live in a way less than what Jesus has in mind, yeah? So let's start with the devil, and now we're going to go to Luke chapter 4, okay, Luke chapter 4. In Luke 4, so we look in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is baptized, and there's a long list of Jesus' ancestors, and then verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1 says, then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Can I just, can I quick footnote? To those of you who regularly attend Regen, when COVID started, I, we preached this passage. When COVID started, and we talked about how Jesus was led into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit and how Jesus left the wilderness full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would argue that that is what has happened to our church. We moved from full of the Holy Spirit Too full of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an exciting time. Anyway, chapter 4. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all. He became very hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, this stone to become a loaf of bread, but Jesus told him, "No." The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. No sooner, but by every worth by the mount of God. No sooner is Jesus' identity spoken over him than is his identity put to the test. I have a friend who suspects that this conversation with K, with Satan came on day forty of forty. Right. Because Satan was trying to strategically go for when the memory of hearing his identity spoken over him would be the farthest away in Jesus' mind and when Jesus would be at his hungriest. What the devil misunderstands is that to fast is actually to accrue spiritual power. So Jesus, the enemy thinks Jesus is at his weakest at the end of the 40 days. Jesus is actually at his strongest. Interesting. But what does the enemy say? The enemy says, if you're the son of God. He's having a conversation with Jesus about his identity. Scripture says that Satan is a liar, that he was a liar from the beginning. Satan loves to lie over our identity. Why? Because this side of the cross, Satan's power is canceled His power is so limited. His best play is to get us to believe lies about ourselves or lies about God. It's his best play. It's about all he can do. He's just very effective at it. Why? Because he's also the accuser of the brethren. I know a lot of followers of Jesus that live a life of shame and condemnation. And that's not to say that there's not sin to be repented of and some forgiveness to walk out, and some things to learn, but it is also to say that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's what Romans 8.1 says. So Satan will come up against us with a lie. God doesn't really love you. You're really not safe when you trust him. What Satan loves to do is get you to tempt you to sin, you sin, and then he likes to make fun of you for it. Right? He likes to play both sides. So there's the devil, but there's also the world. And the world, uh, in the imagination of Scripture, kind of has two pieces to it. And part of it is that the world is just broken. Steph and I experienced um, a a couple of years of infertility followed by a couple of years of miscarriage before we had our son Jack. And uh, when the world isn't working the way it's supposed to, boy is it hard to believe god says who you are like it's hard to believe what god says about who you are it really is in february our son jack um, spiked a really high fever and had a febrile seizure he's fine but i'll tell you what while we're standing um, in the urgent care room while they're attending to jack nothing made me feel further from the promises of god than that experience right like it's hard to hold on to when the world is broken in the midst of a diagnosis in the midst of depression, anxiety, in the midst of a brain that like the chemistry is off, in the midst of all of these things, it is really, really hard to hold on to what is true about us. It is also hard to hold on to what is true about us because the world flips what is good and what is bad, right? The book of Isaiah says they call light darkness and darkness light. And so the way that we are created and the values of the kingdom are exactly the opposite of what's supposed to happen in the world, right? Right? So like we look at like the brokenness of the world this sickness and we meet in Mark 5 this woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years and the text says that she tried doctors spent all her money and she's no better and in Mark 5 Jesus heals her actually she's healed by just touching the hem of Jesus's robe But the more and more I read that passage, I've begun to suspect that the greater healing that Jesus did there was not just to heal her physically, but to heal her spiritually. Because what does he say to her as she goes away? Daughter, go in peace. I think he's healing something on the inside of her, not just her body. And as far as the brokenness of the world, Jesus meets this kid. He's called a rich young ruler. And he wants to follow Jesus, but he also really likes money. He really wants to follow Jesus, he just also really likes stuff. And he's been obedient to a T, and Jesus says, okay, there's only one thing you have to do to come follow me, you have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Do as much exegetical Bible study metaphoricalizing, and you can't escape from the fact that that is a core command of Jesus, which is really, really hard as Westerners. Even harder when the man walks away, he doesn't decide to follow Jesus and Jesus heaves a sigh and says, you know, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. But the world in the man, this young man's eyes had defined, defined success very clearly and he wasn't willing to change his definition of success. And so he continued to live the story as a rich young man So there's the world, there's the flesh, uh, there's the world, there's the devil, and then there's the flesh, and the flesh speaks to our desires. And ultimately, what the flesh does is it makes us want bad things and not want good things, or it makes us want good things for bad reasons, or want bad things for good reasons, Paul talks about that in Romans 7, and I think a place that we meet the flesh leaving a wound on someone's identity is in John 4. There's a, it's called the woman at the well. Randy, one of our elders, preached that. Um, I went to Bible college. I've heard that sermon. I've heard a sermon on John 4 like, you know, like too many times. You know what I'm saying? Um, I didn't think there was any juice left in it, and Randy found the juice. Um, this woman at the well she's bounced from man to man to man to man her whole life. She's wanted this thing, and it's never really left her satisfied. I think that's a statement of what she believes her identity to be. Right? Our flesh, our desires are just so out of control, and they're so disordered, and then the world kind of encourages us to kind of chase after those things. Then the enemy lies to us and accuses us to stay in those things. And this is what's important for me to tell you is, like, why are we talking about this on Mother's Day? Of all the topics. By the way, I've been yelled at before for not preaching happy sermons on Mother's Day. And the problem with my personality is that kind of makes me want to keep doing it. (laughs) Um, Motherhood is a minefield of identity challenges when you're following Jesus, isn't it? Speaking of minefields, right? Starts with we want a kid and we don't have them, and infertility and miscarriage just wreaks havoc on your heart. Then you have kids and you're up all night and you don't even know who you are anymore. Then your kids get older, they're like elementary age, and the pressure to have them in all seven sports, and for them to have a 10.0 GPA, and for them to get into the best college just starts to ramp up. And then they become teenagers, and who is this person living with me? And now they're an adult, and they're making decisions I don't approve of, or I don't have relationship with them anymore. Or the relationship I have with my adult parents is hard. And then my parents die, and now I have a grief piece. I mean. The 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 opportunities for challenge in our identity in the area of motherhood, they abound. That's why we're talking about it on Mother's Day, because I'm a man. And this like becomes a thing for me as we walked our journey of infertility and miscarriage. It, 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 they abound. They abound. Because these things, this we're experiencing motherhood are any number of things. What happens is we create I am statements about ourselves, right? Um, and, and it could just be something like, I am alone. I am dirty. I am I'm sick. I'm unwanted. I'm broken. I'm wounded. I'm abandoned. I'm vulnerable. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm, I'm dirty. I'm scared. I'm unwanted. I'm uh, despicable. I'm anxious. I'm doubtful. I'm wounded. I'm, I'm no more than my past mistakes. I'm only as good as my successes. i uh, I am the best parent, I am the best employee, I am the best manager, I am the best goal setter, I'm a yes man, I am a no man. Uh, Joey, who's on our leadership team, Joey in a video last week just shared like his was like, yeah, I'm defective, right? And so we create these I am statements and they live in the very center of us and what they do is they drive all of who we are. Why? Because our identity precedes our activity. What we believe ourselves to be is how we will behave. But these kinds of I am statements, when we follow Jesus, are not what is most fundamentally true about us, are they? Thank you, Jesus. The answer is no. So how do we kind of go against that? So we know something that's the truest thing about us, but there's this other thing that sounds actually pretty true as well. How do we kind of navigate those? We do it like Jesus did. How does Jesus reassure himself of his identity and combat the false narrative coming out after him? He he speaks truth to the lie, key factor, out loud, out loud, right? Are you really the son of God? Because if you are, you should, like making this stone into bread should be no problem. And Jesus says, the scriptures say, for man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of the mouth of God. So I want to take you back to uh, 2016, 2017. I'm processing this. I hear the Lord say, uh, Kyle, you're safe with me. I've not called you to a minefield. I've called you to a vineyard. So here's how I walked out that truth. Every morning when I was brushing my teeth, and every night when I was brushing my teeth, I would say out loud over, I would pray out loud over myself, "I am not alone. I am loved. I am chosen." I kept hearing, "I am with," W I T H E D. Somebody is, God is with me. I'm protected. I'm safe. I'm loved. I'm, I, I, I I am chosen for the nation of the earth. Now, because I was brushing my teeth, it came out, "I'm chosen." I am, I am, okay, I am. And I began to experience over those weeks a level of breakthrough and freedom. I started sleeping again. In fact, I don't really stay up at night anymore. If I do, it's got to be bad. Or my son's got to be up all night, one of the two. Jesus declares truth out loud to defeat the lies. That's that's the tool. Scripture says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Joshua says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Interesting, interesting, right? Scripture is... To be internalized and memorized, it is also to be declared. What is the, in Ephesians 6, we are given armor for fighting a spiritual battle, and the only offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I find myself believing all these I am statements about myself, and I push them back by declaring truth. Um. Yesterday, I uh, went to a ministry called Wellsprings of Freedom. It's hosted by a church about two hours from here for an inner healing prayer session, and as we were processing, um, I began to recognize some challenges to my identity. I felt permission from the Lord to share this with you that quickly. I don't like it to be that fresh all the time because I'd like it to kind of get down into me somehow, but I felt some permission to to share it. And so um, one of the things I realized is that I was, uh, there was this, I am statement in my heart about like doubt and an inability to know God's heart and his character. Um, and I felt like the Lord kind of, and so I was like asking the Lord for what truth can I combat with that? And I heard the Lord say, uh, I felt the scripture come to mind. Um, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, there was this sense of like I am abandoned, and I and I recalled the pastor scripture where Jesus says I will not leave you as orphans. Um, there was a sense of being of being anxious, and the anxiety was like I'm anxious, and God doesn't care that I'm anxious, like God's like, well I'm dealing with that. Good luck, you know. Um, and I felt the pastor scripture from 1 Peter five, cast all your anxieties on the Lord because He cares for you, right. And then I noticed there's like a stronghold in my life about dread. Like that's just a thing that kind of, you know, sometimes just hangs out in the background of my life. It's more than fear. It's like dread. And uh, a passage from Psalm 112 came to mind. It says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And then it says, he does not fear bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. My friends, now you know what I'm going to be brushing my teeth to for the next few weeks. Right? And uh, in a moment, what I just want to give you an opportunity to do is, um, as I've been talking this morning, some of you are recognizing like that there is a lie or an untruth or this identity thing that's happening in you. And I want to give you some space to identify what the truth is. And that's why there's some handouts on your chairs. It's a ton of who I am in Christ statements from Scripture. And I just want to invite you, uh, I'll have Steph lead us in this, but I just want to invite you to take up this practice with me over the next few weeks. And let's contend together and fight the war. So, Steph, would you come and
1: One of the things we do here at Regen is to have a response time. We don't just want to hear God's word. We want to be wise builders who build our lives on it. And so that means we act on it. And so um, in a moment, the band is going to play. But um, I just want to invite you this morning, and, and I would even invite you, even if you're not sure what you think about Jesus this morning, to to, to do this kind of bold and brave thing. And that's just to ask him um, to speak to you today. And so... Um, I want to invite you to ask him, what is the lie that I'm believing? What is that I am statement that I'm walking around identified by? And I would even encourage you, if you ask it, to just go with what happens, what comes out first. Don't sit and overprocess and try and refine and think about it. Just go with what he gives you. And then I'd invite you to say to him, invite him, like what I am statement stands out to me in response to that. And so I'd love for you after this response time to have This is a a lie I'm believing about myself, I'm I'm identifying myself by, and this is a truth that I'm going to counteract that with. So let's just take a moment and, and do that. We thank you that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. Um, I thank you that you say, Jesus, that your sheep hear your voice and they know it. And so I pray over this spiritual family today that they would recognize that lie for what it is, um, a lie that is meant to destroy and to, to bring about um, all manner of, of, of evil in their lives. And Father, that um, you would replace that with the truth of, of who you are and of who we are. And so, Father, I pray that as we leave today, that we would leave with a measure of freedom that we didn't walk in with, that we would leave with a measure of healing that we didn't have when we came, that um, even on this Mother's Day, with all the things we have to do, that you would get our attention, Father, in a way that uh, changes the trajectory of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.